morning we're going to stop and pray. I don't know if you've been paying attention to what's happened in Sri Lanka. Uh, they have multiple church bombings. As of this morning, the last count I saw was 207 Christians who have died in different churches. And um, some of you know uh, Murphy and Heather from our church are actually in China. They're supposed to be in Sri Lanka, and they're not. He just sent me a text this morning saying, now I know why we're not there. And so um, there's a lot of, uh, one of the descriptions was it's just a river of blood. So we need to stop and pray for them. Father, we do pray for our brothers and sisters on the other side of the world. Uh, Lord, um, for the families that have lost lost loved ones. Lord, it's hard to understand why somebody could be filled with that much hatred. And Lord, we pray that your grace would be ever-present, your mercy would be strong. Father, uh, thank you that Murphy and Heather were not there, to, because they would have been somewhere in the middle of all that, perhaps. Uh, just thank you for your goodness. So show your kindness to those people, Lord. And whoever the perpetrators are, Lord, we, we ask for justice, but we pray for forgiveness. That somehow they would come to know you and realize what they're doing is just wrong. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, we've been in a long journey on holiness. We're going to close it off today. Well, I'm never really going to close it off. Holiness is always going to be part of what we do. And so um, we started way, way back in January at the garden when God uh, said to Adam and Eve, uh, don't eat of this one tree. Paul later on says, how would I have known it was sin if he didn't say that? The moment God said, don't eat, then it became sin if we did it. Where there's no law, there's no sin, he argues. Then a little bit later, he gives a Mosaic law, 613 commands. And um, the people of Israel found that it was impossible to keep. They couldn't obey it. God knew that. Why would he do that? Why would he provoke sin? Why would he put in place a law that he knew we were going to disobey? Well, one of the things we know for sure about the law, it wasn't the problem with the law. 613 commands, that each one are very clear and very simple. There's nothing complex about it. Nothing at all. Have mold on the wall? Scrape it off. It's easy to do. Don't boil a goat in his mother's milk. It's easy to do. Don't mix flax and wool. It's easy to do. We can go on and on. Every command was actually very easy to obey, but yet they still couldn't do it. What was the problem? Right here. This was the problem. It wasn't the law. That's why Paul can say and Peter can say the law was holy, righteous, good, perfect, and a lot of other language to describe how wonderful it is. So that brings us back to then why did God do it? Why did he do that in the garden and why did he do it with the Mosaic law? To reveal, to reveal our need for him. That's why. It's an act of grace. That's what it is. If I say to my four-year-old son, don't run out in the street or you're going to get hurt. If I don't tell him that, and he runs out in the street, chances are very good he's going to get hurt. Therefore, it's an act of grace when I say, don't do it. That's what sin is. It's an act of grace on God's part to tell us what's going to hurt us. And so that raises the question, when you bring in the concept of holiness, that word, we've asked this question all along in the series, do you naturally think... Uh, more rules. Impossible to keep. 
I love when Jesus says, you place weights on the shoulders of your people that you can't even keep. I just love that. So true. Is that what you think of holiness? Or do you think of an invitation? Do you think of it this way? Judgment? Or do you think of it as an invitation? An invitation into the relationship with the one true living God. The God who loves us beyond all description. The God who created us for the deepest joy possible. So what's this got to do with the cross? Well, first of all, understand what holiness is. It's a very simple idea. You stand in God's presence. So when Moses was drawn to the burning bush, it was not being consumed. And he walked over. He goes, what's going on? And God says, hey, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. How is he to know that? What's the difference between this dirt and the dirt right over here? This is where God's presence was. So in Hebrews 10 says, you have been declared holy once for all time. If you believe in Jesus, that means you're holy. That means you now stand in his presence. That's what holiness is. That's what holiness is. But there's a problem in between that. You see, the Israelites were kicked out of the land because they had sinned. Every prophet said that's because of their sin. So they knew that in order for them to come back from exile, they had been exiled. The sin had to be forgiven. Every prophet in the Old Testament said that. And that had not been done. You know how they knew that? It's because the glory never returned to the temple when they built it, when they rebuilt it, when they came back. God's glory never filled the temple again. So that means the sin hasn't been forgiven. So now we're looking at a problem. Exile. They've been kicked out, and that becomes a picture in the New Testament of us. We have been kicked out of the land, if you will. So sin had to be forgiven, and that's what happened at the cross. Sin was forgiven. But the cross wasn't the final answer. That's where we often stop, but it's not the final answer. In the Old Testament, you find very few passages that talk about the cross. Oh, there's some big ones. Isaiah 53, Psalm 110, Psalm 22. We have three or four that talk about it, but there's a plethora of verses that talk about what comes next. You see, the reason why God created us way back here all along was because he wanted to dwell with us. That's why. He wanted to dwell with us. So the cross, very simply, is God cleansing the temple. That's us, his people. That's what the cross is. Atonement. Forgiveness of sin. Today, Resurrection Sunday, is the proof that God has forgiven us. And the glory of the Lord returned, not in the Jewish temple, But in the spiritual temple, both Paul and Peter say we are the spiritual temple. The glory of the Lord came back because our sin was forgiven. So the cross is the intermediate step, not less important. Don't hear that. Intermediate step to get what the Old Testament promised all along. After Jesus rose from the dead in Luke 24, when he's walking with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he meets up with the other disciples, he says, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. The promise wasn't the cross. That was already behind him. The promise was God finally fulfilling what he desired all along, to come live with us for eternity. That's Pentecost. You have to wait 50 days to get there. We're at Easter. Have you ever wondered what it looks like from God's perspective? 
We often talk on Easter, rightfully so, and all through Lent, about all that Christ did on the cross and all of that, and focus on that. I'm going to read to you a chapter out of Revelation, the book of Revelation, arguably one of the most challenging books to interpret in the Bible. How many of you have read it or read portions of it? Most of you, yeah. It's like, wow. What do you do with all of that imagery? Well, let me just give you a simple, what I think, introduction, 30 seconds. Revelation is a book that has many layers to it. In the first century, they would have understood the images. We don't today. They're not part of our world. We don't think that way quite the way they do. We're going to see some of that language, but they did. And so at one level, it's a picture for them of what's going on in their world. Okay? It also gives information about what's coming. So it's multiple layers. It's very complex and just a blast to read. But then I like going to theological conferences too. So <laughs> I'm going to read to you just a couple of verses out of Revelation 4. Revelation 1 through 3 are the seven letters to the churches. Revelation proper starts in Revelation 4. And look where he begins. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. This is John writing. And the voice that I heard at first, speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come on up here. Come here. And so John has the privilege in the spirit of coming up and sitting in the control room of the universe, God's throne room. And he gets to look at the earth through the lens, through God's eyes. If we could take off these lenses and put on spiritual lenses, this place would look very different. And Revelation is a picture of what that looks like. So the very first thing he says to John, sitting in the throne room, is in chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Get used to the word seven. It occurs like 50 times throughout the book of Revelation. Seven has this idea of completion. Everything is finished. So Jesus said, right? It is finished. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming a loud voice, Who's worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Don't weep. See, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. So he's now looking at the resurrected Jesus. Remember, he's looking at it through God's eyes. God's not captured by time. So all of this comes together in Revelation in a single picture. So, This lamb, which had been slain, is standing at the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, this is where it gets pretty interesting. This is not words we usually describe, used to describe God. Most of us are going, what on earth is he talking about here? Remember in the Old Testament, the language, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth looking for those whose heart is completely his. This concept of seven, don't get caught up on the number. This is the picture, I believe, of the Holy Spirit. So we have the slain lamb, and now we have the Holy Spirit who goes out into all the earth. What did Peter say at Acts 2 at Pentecost? He quotes Joel 2. In the final days, 
He's going to send His Spirit on all humanity. This is what we're seeing here. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of Him who sat on the throne. And when He had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, remember they're surrounding the throne, they fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayer of God's people. For those of you that come from high church backgrounds, you have, you have metaphors and images of this, don't you? I love walking into cathedrals, Catholic cathedrals, and seeing uh, candles that have been lit, symbolizing the prayers of the people. That's where this comes from right here. They were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Every denomination has metaphors to help us understand this. And they sang a new song. Now, I want you to say this with me. Let's say it together. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Okay, pause. Look at the beauty of that. That's repeated like five times. Persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. We were created to be different on purpose and to celebrate that difference. Let's go on. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. Okay, pause. That's Exodus 19, way back at Mount Sinai. He says, if you obey me, you will become my most prized possession. You will be a kingdom of priests. And there it is. And the final phrase, and they will reign in heaven. Oh, wait, doesn't say that, does it? They will reign on earth. This is our home. Right here. Get used to saying these. We're going to say these for all of eternity. So these are the 24 elders and the four creatures. I looked and I heard the voice of many angels. So we have the 28. Now look what we have. I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. I didn't do the math, but that's a lot. Okay. 10,000 times 10,000 angels. They're encircling the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, let's say this together. This is what they sang. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. What is the Lord's prayer? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is reality right here. This is our world today. You can't see it. You can't see it quite yet. But in God's perspective, this is what's happening. Then I heard every creature in heaven. Okay, now picture this. We've gone from 24 elders and four creatures to 10,000 times 10,000 angels to now every creature, right? Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, pause, think of Philippians 2, at the name of Jesus, every human on the earth and under the earth. You see, you are going to praise Jesus one day. You can do it by your will or his will. That's your only choice. It is going to happen. And this is what they said. Let's say it together. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. 
That's the God that we serve. This is what the cross did. The cross, the death of Christ, atoned for our sin. The resurrection proved it. It cleansed the temple so that 50 days later, God could take up residence with us, his people. And this is what we're going to be singing and shouting forever, forever. Father, thank you for sending us your son to end the exile, to forgive our sin, to give us the opportunity, the chance to turn to you in faith and honor with a deep love and passion for who you are. Thank you for the deepest joy and the deepest love we could ever know. Thank you for being that kind of God. In your son's name we pray. Amen.